in the past two weeks we were talking about uh, foundation matters. What we said was that how we lay the foundation of building matters. So our faith with God and what how we started, the understanding we have from His Word really matters. What kind of life we're going to live with God, what kind of uh, walk we're going to have with God. Um, so the idea is that uh, we talk, we take the basics. Uh, I, I don't want to call them basics or I don't want to call them simple, but the foundation, the big foundational teachings of the Word of God and trying to understand it to make sure our faith is not established on something um, simple, on something on other people, but rather on the true Word of God. Uh, let me ask you a question, actually. Let me ask you a question. Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in God? Uh, answer that question to yourself. Why do I believe in God? Second question, why do you follow Jesus? Like, why do I follow Jesus? If your answer has anything to do with, with our families or anything to do with, um, like, you know, well, this is all I know and it's not concrete, found in the word of God, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about today. The foundation is not right. The foundation is not right. If your faith is established because of your relationship with other people, hey, I have such a great uh, mentor that I believe in God or had such a great uh, mom who prays all the time and I see how deep she is with God and that gives me confidence uh, that, that God is real, then your extent of faith and, and the foundation you're laying down is not going to last long because foundation really matters. Foundation really matters. Uh, when we are not established on the word of God, when we are not established on the revelation of the word of God, uh, it, we're doomed to be shaken by the things that are going to come our way. Situation, people, uh, environment will shake our faith when our faith is not established on the true word of God in what God actually wants to say. The thing about God and faith is um, we want God to meet us in the way uh, we want him to meet us. Um, for example, the Bible says on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, it says the, the, the Greek want God to reveal himself to them in their own wisdom. Okay, if, you are, if God is real, let's talk about this. Greeks like philosophy. They wanted to have discussions. They want to have sophisticated information about things. Uh, Greeks are the ones that laid out the democracy that we're enjoying right now. Uh, a lot of readings, books we read. So that was their culture. So they wanted to figure out God in the same way. So if God is real, if this Jesus died on the cross, let's talk about this. Let's figure out. Let's have all historical, empirical, mathematical facts gathered. And let's, let's figure out God. That's what they wanted. And the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, of course, being uh, descendants of Abraham and always hearing what God has done. Of oh, Jesus is real. If you are real, show us miracles. Show us miracles. Show us more. Let's see. Let's see if he can do more. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where about 5,000 of the men and, and women and children uh, were following him. And uh, uh, he said, uh, they're hungry. So you know the story? He blessed the bread and the fish. And 5,000 people were filled with two uh, fish and loaves of bread. Guess what? The next day they start following him. And Jesus knew why they were following him. They were like, oh, this is the best restaurant ever. We don't have to cook. We don't have to work. He's going to feed us. And he said, you're following me because you ate. You just want to eat. That's why you follow. The reason you came to me, the foundation is not right. And guess what they said to him? They said, well, that doesn't make you a Messiah. I'm paraphrasing what they said. Moses fed the Israelites manna on the desert. Do something better. 
do something more. Let's see, let's believe if you're real. So 1 Corinthians tells us the Israelites, they wanted more miracles. If Jesus is real, let's see more signs, more wonders. Like they want God to meet them in their own idea and ideology. And I think that's what we do sometimes. But the way God chose to reveal himself, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is in the simple way of the preaching of the gospel. Just hearing the gospel and God opening your eyes to see the truth, the word being planted into your heart, and you laying your foundation on that word, and believing changed everything. It's not, it's not the miracle. People who've seen miracles still didn't believe. He fed them, they still didn't believe. They wanted more. It's not wisdom. Like, you know, people like Paul were the most educated of their time. They have communicated. In fact, Paul literally says, when I came to you, to the church of Corinth, which, is, which, is, which has known for having a great culture, he said, I didn't come to you with words and persuasive words. I, don't, I, tr- I didn't try to debate with you and convince you. No, I don't want to do that because your faith would be on me and not on God. I don't want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in Christ, he said. I want to make sure your faith is established in his word and not in my abilities and my knowledge. So God chose the simplicity of the preaching of the gospel, people hearing this word and and their eyes being open and believing, and all of a sudden, they have this strong foundation in their life. Nothing can shake them. Nothing can shame them. They believe in who he is. That's how God um, works. So today, we're going to, that's the reason we're just talking about from the word of God, laying down these foundations. Today's message is the power of salvation. I want to talk, I want us to talk about how we are saved, why we are saved, in a very, uh, hopefully, easy way to understand. We can go to Romans chapter 7. I really want to encourage you to go to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to start from um, verse 7 to 14. So we're going to look at four different uh, things and their relationship. We're going, to talk, we're going to look at law, sin, death, and grace. Law, sin, death, and grace. We're going to look at specifically the relationship between the law and sin, the relationship between sin and death, and the relationship between death and grace. Four things. Uh, if you take notes, just write them down. Law, sin, death, and grace. When we talk about salvation, we have to talk about the law. We have to talk about sin. We have to talk about death. And we have to talk about grace. If you do not understand why you are saved, you just, oh, I believe in Jesus and I got, I'm saved. Like how? From what? Well, what are you saved from? Like how did you, like what, what happened? We have to understand that truth. Romans chapter 7 verse 14. So we're going to look at specifically um, the relationship between the law and sin. What shall we say then, Paul says, that this law is the law sin? Certainly not. On the, contra- on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. And the commandments which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasions by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me 
Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was produced death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So here, Paul's talk about the relationship between the law or the commandment and sin. I want you to stay with me. This is what he's saying. Before the law came, before the law came, there, but sin wasn't revealed. I lived my life the way I wanted. But the moment the law came into existence, it showed the sin in me. I just want you to pay attention here. So what he's saying is, before the Bible says, um, okay, let, let, let's go to Genesis chapter, the first, uh, the first chapter of Genesis, chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 2, um, God gave them a commandment. You guys remember the commandment is, you can have everything you want in this tree, except the tree of wisdom and, and, uh, and knowledge. And the moment God gave them that commandment, humanity were okay with it. By the way, they were innocent. They were innocent. They did not know sin, so they didn't bother until temptation came. Temptation came and they fall. Now, the commandment brought awareness, awareness, awareness of their own vulnerability to be deceived, to be deceived. But after that, what happened is the law of Moses came. All of a sudden, when the Bible tells, when God tells them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, people start breaking the laws. I don't know. Have you ever grown up when you were a kid and you were told not to do something? And you didn't think about doing it before, but the fact that you were told not to do it gave you the idea, not only the idea, almost tempted you to do it. Now you want to do it. Now you want to do it because you were told not to do it. I did as a kid. And I'm sure a lot of us will found when we're told not to do something, something in us wants to do it. Now what the law did is, listen to me, what the law did is there was sin in us. We have become sinners by our nature. But when the law came and started saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, it revealed the sickness within us. It revealed the sin within us. That's why the law brought sin into existence in our lives. It revealed the nature that was in us. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? So the law that came to help the Israelites to, to walk with God, what ended up doing is it brought the worst in them. If you look at the story of uh, the, the generation of Hebrews in the Bible, they're one of the worst sinners. They will do extreme things of their time. They will rebel against God. The more they know the law, it didn't help them to obey it. In fact, they were staying away. They were struggling to obey the law because the law literally brought the sin that was in them. I think I want us to understand that sin is a master by its, by, by its nature. Here it says, uh, verse 15, it says it's a master. Can we just read it quickly? For what I am doing, I do not understand. We are in Romans chapter 7, everyone. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I will do what, what I will to do. That I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But not it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is... In my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, 
but how to perform what is good, I do not find. So what happened is, let me just break down what he just said. He said, I want to do the right thing. Like, you know, I don't want to sin. Like, I want to always want to tell the truth. But I found in me something that always lies. I don't want to watch certain uh, uh, movies. I don't want to watch certain things online. But the sin in me finds gravitated towards that. I don't want to covet. I don't want to covet. But in me, I find this things happen with him. He said, this sin is a master in me. It's not that I'm willingly doing this. It's like I'm being controlled by a powerful entity that guides me and makes me do things I don't want to do. You know, the difference between a master and a friend, a master tells you what you need to do, but a friend advises you. And sin is a master, except that it plays it down. Sin plays down its role in your life. You think you're in control. You think I'm, I'm sinning because I want to. I'm sinning because I chose to. That's not the truth. The truth is when we are under sin, as Paul said, I don't want to do what I, wanna, what I do. And I, I do want to do what I'm not doing. See, this, this battle in me reveals that there is a master in me controlling me and doing things in me. He said that is the power of sin because sin has a nature of a master. Sin is not just an action, it's an identity. He said, it's the sin in me. If I do this, it's not me, it's sin. He gives all of a sudden this sin an identity. That's why we say, when we, when we say we are sinners, it's not our action. It's who we are. Are you guys with me? So when we, when we say we are sinners, it's not what we do. It's who we are. It's our identity. Being a sinner is not, has nothing to do with, with your action. It has everything to do with who you are. We became sinners because we were born sinners. We became sinners because our parents were sinners. Their parents were sinners because Adam was a sinner. We inherited, just like we inherited our futures, our DNA, we inherited the nature of sin and we became sinners. So the law revealed who we are to ourselves. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I hope you understand that. Because recognizing uh, the severity of the sickness or the situation would help us to seek the solution. When you understand how bad the situation is, you try to find the, situa- the solution for it. Or, or you actually appreciate the solution because you knew how bad the situation is. So the nature of sin, law cannot change it. In fact, the law magnified it and it became such a huge harder in our lives. To the point Paul is saying, what a wretched person that I am. What it means is, what a, div- like, what a devastated person I am. Like, I'm, so tor- I'm so torn between these two natures in me. Because sin is also an identity that lives within me. We appreciate the power of grace. And we appreciate what Christ has done on the cross. When we understand the power and the effect of sin in our lives. Let's talk about sin and death. Can we go to Romans chapter 2, verse 23? Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is a very famous verse. It's very well known. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wage of sin is death. So not only sin has a power, it also has a child. 
while sin results as death. The ultimate death for any human being is not the death of um, separation of the soul from the flesh, which happens to everyone. We're all going to die at some point. But the separation that we have from God, that death, the death of our spirit, when we die inside it, we no longer connect with God. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verse 56 to 57 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says the sting of death is sin, or the sting that causes death is sin. Sin is the sting that results in the fruit of death. And the power of sin is the law, as we talked about earlier. The law empowered sin in our lives. It brought it to full fruition. And this reality of sin in our life brought something with it, death. So all of a sudden, seeking God, is, is it's, we're not able to do that. All of a sudden, being with God, there's an ability with God, to, with us, to be with God. Because sin caused death. It brought death. It brought spiritual death. Spiritual death means it takes away the sense, the sense of desiring God, hearing God, wanting God, speaking to God. It took that away from our lives. So sin brought death into humanity. So we talked about the law and the sin and sin and death. Let's talk about death and grace. And that's where I want to finish this teaching on. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, God's law has given to all, to that all people could see how sinful they are. Can you just pay attention right there? God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. The law did not come to justify us. The law came to show us how sinful we are. Just think about that for a second. Because a lot of time, when you recognize how sinful you are, you blame yourself. And instead of saying, oh, this issue is so deep, even God's law cannot save me. I better find the solution. Because the law did not come to rescue us. The, another word in Romans for the law was given was, it was a babysitter. It was, waiting, it was ushering humanity to, the, to Jesus Christ, to our Savior. It was just babysitting us until the parent comes. So the law here, it says, is given so that all people could see how sinful they are, how sinful you are, how sinful I am. But as people sin more and more, now listen, as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abandoned. Another translation is where sin increased, grace also increased. Now, Grace is unmerited gift of God. Now, grace is an interruption of God in the natural flaw of sin. The law came, our sin increased, and then death should increase, right? Makes sense. Because the fruit of sin is death. The waste of sin is death. So, but in between, God loved us enough, he cared about us enough, that he interrupted this natural flow of what happens in humanity and he came in and he injected grace so where sin is increasing to create to to increase death what ended up ended up happening is grace also increased to bring life into our lives 
I just want you all to understand how amazing God's wonderful grace is. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, when somebody continually um, reaches out to you or talk to you uh, and do stuff, there's this natural tendency in us to think, okay, what, what does he want? What does she want? Like, what's, what's the end goal here? Like, 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 it doesn't make sense for somebody to reach out to us just out of nowhere. And the thing about God is, he is continually reaching out to us, continually, um, like, you're trying to save us, not so we can serve him. Not so he can use us. Just because he loves us. Just because he loves us. His only motivation to bring grace into our life is not so we can be a fruitful generation, a fruitful, a fruitful person that can benefit him, that can benefit his kingdom. That's not the reason. That's not the reason. The reason is, for God has so loved the world. He sent his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him shall be saved and not perish. That's his only motivation. He loved us so much so that when we realize how sinful we are, he's saying, I know sin is increasing in your life, but I'm bringing grace through Christ so my grace can increase. So instead of death, so life can happen into your life. His only motivation is his love for me and for you. There is no end goal to him. There is no end goal. There is no, oh, he's doing this because he wanted this. Uh, he's doing this so he has this master plan he wants to do and he needs me there. He doesn't need us. You know that, right? You know that, right? God does not need us. We need him. He wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He can live and, and reign in this world and fulfill his entire plan without us. Our deciding to follow him to be his children, to be saved, has nothing that impacts who he is and his grand plan in life. Nothing. But his only motivation and his only uh, aim on our life is that he loved us and he wants to save us. I love that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Here, Paul starts by describing us who we are. And he talks about what grace has done for our soul. He said, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying, you were dead because of your transgressions. Because of the sin that was in you, because of the sin that you continue to commit, because of the sin that you have received, and, and you were dead because of that. Not only we were dead, let's go to verse 2. When you were following the ways of the world... And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Not only you were uh, dead, but you were also following the ways of the world. Whatever was in the world was what was influencing you, he says. And that's the true fruit of uh, salvation, by the way. When you get saved, the pattern of the world, its meaning becomes less to you. 
and the power of the enemy does not allure you. So he said here, you were, you were following the ways of the world. And he said, you were also following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is right now is at work on those who are disobedient. Who is in charge of the world right now? The enemy. That's what the Bible says. The ruler of this world. He said, you used to follow him. But now, listen, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, uh, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Whatever our flesh desired, whatever our, our mind thought, we followed it and we thought that was the life. That's how we lived. There was nothing that was stopping us from doing whatever we thought was good to us. We were, we were in charge of us. We were in charge of our life. So when we were in charge of our life, sin was literally in charge of our life. And the enemy was using that and, and, and uh, creating patterns for us to follow. Like the rest, you were by nature deserving of wrath. That's how you were. He mentions where we were. And then, verse 4. Hallelujah. He says, but because of his great love for us. Can you say, because of his great love for us. Can you say that one more time? Because of his great love for me. His only motivation, God's only motivation is that he loved us. That he loved us. He said, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Ooh, hallelujah. God who is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is, you know, sometimes when I ask God for forgiveness, I can't help but think like he's like other people. That at some point he said, man, bro, we've been here so many times. That's enough. Go, go find somewhere else. Like, you know, deny it. I feel like he will do that. But he's so rich in mercy that he never denies us mercy when we seek it. But not only that, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. Remember that, that natural flow? That sin led to death? That law brought the sin, sin led to death? Even though that's where our status was. Because we have sinned and we were dead. Our place was in place of death because of his grace. He interrupted that process. As we were dead in our sin, he came up and he brought us to life. It is by grace you have been saved, he says. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now let's talk about the power of salvation. The power of salvation, what makes it so powerful and what makes it so amazing is has, as huge as sin was, as powerful as sin was, as effective ruler as sin and Satan were in this world, God's act of kindness and his love and his interruption of this process and sending his son to down the cross and bringing us into salvation has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with his goodness. That's the power of salvation. He says, this is the gift of God. It's not something we earned. It's not something we worked for. It's not something we, we figured it out. Remember in the beginning, we were talking about, we want God to meet us in our way. We want to figure it out or we want to see it. It has nothing to do with that. He did it. He did it. He loved us and he did it. He said, it's finished. And because it's a gift, our responsibility, he says, is just to receive it by faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the foundation. Why is it so important? We've always said, like, I'm saved by grace through faith. Like, I'm saved because of God. But why is it so important? 
the, 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 the matter of the truth is when the enemy wants and comes and knocks at our door, the first question he would, he would ask us is about our position. He would ask us, okay, where are you? Are you the child of God? Do you have relationship? Like that's his temptation. Mark chapter 4, when, when the enemy, Matthew chapter 4, when the enemy came to Jesus, his first question, his first temptation was, oh, if you are the son of God. It wasn't about the bread. It was about the position of Jesus and who he is. It has nothing to do with me. I am saved as a gift. I know the power of sin. I know its effectiveness and what it has done to me. And I, I, I run from it. I don't like it. I don't want to be in that position ever again. But my solution is not my work. My solution is my faith in his work. Amen. Amen. So when the enemy comes and tests you and asks you so you don't fall, so you can stand, so your foundation might be right, this fact, this truth needs to be sealed in our heart. Let's close our eyes. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have benefited. If you want to let us know that you're listening or you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at jfc.church. I hope you will have a wonderful week. Stay blessed.